Hello, I'm Michael Haddam, producer of the JuntoCast, and I'm happy to introduce a new addition to the podcast, the JuntoCast Extra. These will be shorter 10- to 20-minute mini-episodes released in between our regular monthly episodes. Now, in addition to offering our listeners more content, the JuntoCast Extra will allow us to address topics and ideas that perhaps don't warrant a full 50-minute episode or expound on a specific aspect of that month's topic. So, for example, this first episode features a brief discussion about a few questions raised at a very important recent conference at the Massachusetts Historical Society called So Sudden an Alteration, the Causes, Course, and Consequences of the American Revolution. During the discussion, you'll hear us refer to two controversial keynote talks by Woody Holton and Brendan McConville, which you can watch in their entirety by going to bit.ly backslash MHS Keynotes. As always, you can find our back catalog of episodes with more information at our website, thegentocast.com. And if you would like to help support The Gentocast, which is an independently funded and produced podcast, you can share our Facebook page and posts and retweet us on Twitter. Our handle is at Gentocast. Finally, you can also help us greatly by filling out the listener survey on our webpage. You can find the link in the menu bar at the top, www.thegentocast.com. And with that, I give you the first episode of the Gentocast Extra. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a special extra edition of the Junto Cast. I'm Ken Owen, an assistant professor of early American history at the University of Illinois Springfield, and I'm joined by Michael Hattam, Roy Rogers, and Liz Covart to continue some of the discussion that we had on our previous episode discussing the origins and causes of the American Revolution. In that episode, we referenced a recent conference that was held for academics at the Massachusetts Historical Society, which was dedicated to looking at new directions and new possibilities in the field of American revolutionary history. One of the keynote addresses that was given at the conference was by Woody Holton, who talked about an originality crisis in the history of the American Revolution, suggesting that there hadn't been a really new way of thinking about the American Revolution that had emerged in recent decades. And we wanted to talk a little bit more about that question. At this point, I will hand over to Liz to give us a little bit more of a sense of what Holton was talking about when he spoke of an originality crisis. So Holton's main point was that nothing new has come out on the revolution in about 20 or 25 years. His, I believe he made the point of you could take any recent book or article about the revolution, make a quiz about it, and his point is you don't need to read the book or the article to pass that quiz. He says that we have an originality crisis because all that we're really doing for new work is producing the same old arguments but filling it with more jargon and more theory and calling that new ideas. So Holton offers three ideas for new topics. The first one is that he believes that there is room for the study of the influence of ordinary people on extraordinary events. His second idea is that there is room for micro-comparisons. 
And his last idea is that we should have more statistical studies about about the era. So can I just ask for clarification? What does he mean when he's talking about micro comparisons? Right. Well, his his primary example of micro comparison was that he, uh, if I recall correctly, he showed two editions of Phyllis Wheatley poem. Right. One that was printed in the, I guess, the early 1770s and one that was printed later. The one that's published uh, in the early 1770s is the one for the British audience, and it excises any any mention uh, a verse that was directly referencing the Boston Massacre, and that was excised. And in a later edition, uh, that is for an American audience, that verse is left intact. And that is, I, you know, I guess it's supposed to tell us something. I don't know what it tells us necessarily about the American Revolution, and I think that was a problem with Holton's sort of uh, suggestions was that none of them really seemed aimed at saying something new about the American Revolution itself. It might tell us something about an, an individual poet's work in the Revolution, or it might tell us uh, something something about some kind of certain aspect. He made actually a very good analogy about um, a very good suggestion about. Com- he was he asked the audience if they had thought that uh, women's the situation of women in early America had been. Uh, if the revolution had been a net positive or a net negative in the short term uh, for women after the revolution, there was some uh, split in people's opinions. And he suggested that you could compare the situation in Nova Scotia uh, in terms of women uh, in the decades after the revolution with the situation in New England, and then you could make a comparison. That's an excellent uh, suggestion. But again, uh, that to me, that's, in terms of consequences and so I but I didn't see anything really that he was suggesting that would tell us anything about uh, really about broader questions such as the origins or the causes of the revolution. I can certainly see some opportunities within the outlines that are given though I think as you point out if it's maybe not micro comparisons, but certainly a return to some sort of comparative history, that could be very productive because one of the trends that we've seen in recent years has been to either have very directed local studies or studies that try and tell a broader national story and maybe some sort of setup by which different localities were compared simultaneously or were compared in parallel would certainly allow some more reflection and may well identify the new questions that historians have been in search of. And I think statistically speaking as well, there are obviously questions about how fast sources are going to be made digitally available, but I think that there will be opportunities in using digital databases and wider access to primary sources to be able to interrogate them. I don't think those studies will necessarily provide answers, but they will definitely allow us to identify the starting points to some of the new interpretations that might emerge. So do we think that there is an originality crisis in revolution studies? I would argue that with most of these things, it all depends on where you're sitting, right? Um, I mean, someone like like uh, Woody Holton, there is in some ways an originality crisis to people who 
follow through Woody, the neo sort of neo progressive perspective that Holton sort of made famous with founding uh, Forced Founders and you know won awards with with his book about Abigail Adams and won uh, you know awards with his book on the Constitution. There hasn't been a massive amount of work that has directly followed up on those arguments. There are people, including people on the Junto, that uh, are you know sort of following up and maybe you know in four or five years we'll see several books that are sort of deeply influenced by that scholarship but right now if I was Woody Holden yeah I would argue that there's a lack of an originality crisis because my perspective is not as well you know well articulated as say a more culturally focused perspective I just don't see an originality crisis there were over two dozen papers offered and they were all talking about new ways of looking at things. And I also think we need to bear in mind that the history we write about is just about just as much about the present as it is about the past. I mean, no matter how impartial we try to be or how much we try to study the past, you know, as the past, our time and our worldview colors our interpretations. So I think our generation has something totally new to say because we grew up in a different time period. I'm just not sure what the organising questions of the field are at the moment, in a way that I think that if you could look back to the Republican synthesis or the neo-progressive challenge to the Republican synthesis, there were, clear, there were very clear organising lines and organising questions around which those studies were, were focused and today, I think there's an awful lot of work that's being done on the time period. But as we discussed in the podcast episode and as Michael and I have written about on the blog, it seems to me that those are questions more about revolutionary America, looking at the way that much broader historical processes changed within the 50 or 60 years of the American Revolutionary period rather than looking at the American Revolution and trying to find new organising questions there. Is that an originality crisis? I don't know. I think there's a lot of opportunities to try and synthesise the way that works on those other topics have been developed, and any new work will have to take account for a lot of those trends. But at the same time, I think there is a danger that the field has been breaking apart in a lot of its areas. It's been fragmenting in a lot of its areas of studies. And that's meaning that there isn't that overarching set of questions that I think tends to make fields more vibrant and more focused in terms of the history that they produce. Right. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily an originality crisis so much as an origins crisis. And there's been a lot of work that's been done uh, that touches on the revolution. And Liz has talked about this and Ken too, this sort of dichotomy between uh, work on the American Revolution and on revolutionary America. But there's been a lot of original work done in the last 30 years on the consequences of the revolution. There's been uh, fantastic work done on that. And I think, you know, we think very differently about the consequences of the revolution now than we did uh, even 20 years ago, and, and certainly 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, but there, that has not been the case for, the, for questions of causes and questions of origins. And 
so I, I think there's this one-sidedness to the field at the moment that makes it feel, uh, at least to someone who cares about the, the questions of causes and origins, uh, quite out of balance. And to Ken's point about fragmentation, I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's an absolutely crucial point. During the conference, Gordon Wood basically brought this point up and said, you know, the fact is that the fragmentation has become so uh, s severe that you, we basically can never go back to the kind of moment where, you know, the, the, the field was so clearly framed and fault lines were so uh, clearly outlined. And so that contributes to, the, I think, this, this sense of there being a lack of center. So I'm not sure that there's an originality crisis per se, but I, but I do think that the study of the revolution in the last few decades has been very one-sided in favor of consequences. And I, and I agree totally with Liz. I think that uh, there, is a there is a lot to be said still about the origins and causes of the revolution, specifically because it has not been worked on in so long. And historians now, a generation of historians coming through now who will look at those questions in a new way will be able to do so uh, with the benefit of all the work that has come in the last 30 years on the consequences. And I think that that can very much inform how we approach these the questions of origins and causes in, in new ways. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, am very excited about what the future holds for the study of the revolution. Yes, I think insofar as it might seem like we are concerned about some of the directions, it's because we care and we think that these debates are really worth having and that yeah, there, there is something that is not too far away from us that we can really get at pretty quickly um, if we start thinking carefully about what sort of questions we want to we want to have answered and how the field wants to, to frame the discussions that it's having. To finish this extra episode of the Junto cast, given that we've been talking about potential new directions and we've been talking about the opportunities that lie ahead for the field, maybe if I can just go around everyone and get your opinions on the direction that you find most interesting or most exciting about the field of American revolutionary history? I mean, obviously, I would like to see a, a lot. Uh, I would like to see historians recommit themselves to the questions of origins and causes. I think at the Massachusetts Historical Society conference, I didn't really see too much of that, which I was a bit disappointed. But what I did see that I, that I thought was very exciting was the emergence of a sort of uh, a commitment to an institutional approach to political history. And I think this is something, Ken, that you and I have both written about uh, on the blog and, and called for basically over the last few years. And I think we really began to see that uh, pay some dividends in a uh, panel on the, the federal government in, in the early Republic. And this is, you know, certainly has to do with consequences, but, uh, the, the the Jinto's own Michael Blakeman was had an interesting paper on the interrelationship between uh, land speculators and the individual states. Uh, ben Urban had a very interesting paper that uh, sort of uh, uncovered these disabled war veterans who were petitioning the state for pensions. And uh, Galtham Rao's paper uh, 
really explicated the relationship between merchants and the customs house. And this is all, you know, the, the relationship between certain specific groups and uh, and states and institutions. And I thought it was very profitable uh, in terms of giving new ways of thinking about the revolution, especially one that's not framed in terms of bottom up or top down in this sort of class binary where you have two groups of people that are just inherently antagonistic to one another. And I think instead what we get from that was, you know, a, a focus really on interrelationships and on uh, the interactions between groups and uh, institutions. I thought it was very encouraging. Um, Roy, what are your thoughts? I think there's sort of two general avenues that I think are most interesting. One is, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, the relationship between religion and the American Revolution. Too often uh, historians have written about the binary relationship between the revolution. Either the revolution has an impact on religion or religion has an impact on the revolution. Namely, aka, how much did Christianity influence the cause, particularly the ideological cause of the American Revolution? And there's been a lot of ink spilled on this question. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that that aspect of the debate is largely played out. The schools are largely established. Either people agree with a certain perspective or disagree with a certain perspective, but there's still a whole variety of different ways of approaching this question, of complicating not only the sort of traditional, purely ideological look at what religion meant for the revolution, but to look at like how specific religious communities really, really uh, dug into and responded to the revolution, and the ways in which religious sites were or weren't the site of revolution. And Another perspective would be the gendered experience of the revolution, I think. And when I when I say this, I mean this more and more work needs to be done on the ways in which masculinity and femininity were reshaped, not just after the revolution, but during the revolution. So much work has focused on you know, how the revolution changed what it meant to be a man, well, how the revolution changed what it meant to be a woman. But I'm, I think that there's a lot of really interesting work to be done about how both changes in the origins period that we've talked about and during the war itself is constantly reshaping these two central questions that will have important uh, repercussions in the later period. And Liz, what new directions do you find most interesting? I, I'm a cultural historian, so I'm fascinated by the cultural influences in the revolution and how those play out in the war itself. I'm also particularly interested in, and this is a recent development, in looking at aspects of the revolution on their own terms. Uh, specifically, I just finished an article, and this will be my second book project. I am fascinated by the Articles of Confederation and looking at them as a product of the revolution and not as a stepping stone for the Constitution. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's a absence of work that takes the 1780s seriously enough and i really look forward to seeing new work on the articles of confederation that will will help change that because i think that will really enhance our study of the revolution um, for my part i'm going to highlight two interesting directions michael's already foreshadowed um, what I'm going to say about the role of local institutions and sort of the, what I would call extra-governmental institutions, bodies that are political but 
not directly or official parts of the government. I think that they filter the relationship and give us a really good understanding into what people think democracy and popular sovereignty actually mean in this period. And I think there's a, a lot of opportunities for for work that examines that relationship between how relations between the people and the government are mediated, not just after the revolution, where a lot of this work is centred, but also leading up to the revolution, leading up to independence itself. Um, the other one that I'd highlight, and I think this is something that might be a necessary step to get us back into some of those questions of origins and causes that Michael has highlighted, is to think more seriously about Britain as well. Um, last year... Andrew O'Shaughnessy's book on the men who lost America was calling for people to take the British leadership um, during the War of Independence much more seriously. And I think that a lot of that work might well um, allow people to explore the ideological and constitutional changes in understanding that took place that we talked about in the in the main episode i think that by maybe looking overseas identifying changes that were taking place in britain and then bringing that understanding back to what's going on in the 1760s and 1770s has a lot of opportunity for historians of the revolution as well so that brings us to the end of this special extra edition of the junto cast um, as ever, we will post links to some of the books and posts and talks that we mentioned in today's episode on our website, so you should go to thejuntocast.com to find out those links for further reading. Um, I'd like to thank Michael, Roy and Liz for their fascinating discussion, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode. Yeah.